Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. For tonight's episode, we will be discussing the new Night's Watch tactics deck and units uh, that were revealed during the uh, Vision in, in Vision in the Flames. Sorry, I'm uh, kind of getting things together last minute here. Uh, but yeah, tonight we have with us Brett. Thank you so much for coming on. And we also have a special guest and then possibly another uh, person coming on um, that uh, should be on soon. So, but until uh, until they get on, um, as usual, while we're waiting for guests, just going to kind of do our shout-outs at the beginning of the episode. So, um, Brett, why don't you uh, take us away with uh, maybe shouting out uh, kind of a last-minute shout-out for our uh, for the tournament coming this weekend? Oh yeah, uh, it's almost time. I kind of was sitting in my vehicle this morning on the way to work. Um, you know, and I, I just work Monday through Thursday. So it's like long weekends and very short work week. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, it's Tuesday. I'm basically half, it's my hump day, you know. And uh, after I get to the end of the day, we're almost there. And then I was like, oh, man, this weekend is like so exciting. Uh, freaking dinner with all the guys that are flying in. And then pancakes. you got to have pancakes for an in-person tournament. And uh, I was like, man, it's this weekend. So, yeah, I'm super excited. Um this Saturday is going to be the first day of the two-day uh, Adepticon tournament. Uh, just to clear some things up, I know I made a post on Facebook stating that this was the first in the um, in the competitive series. Um, apparently, I got that a little bit mixed up with Robert. What it actually is, is it's, in, in a way, I was right, and in a way, I was wrong. This is actually, uh, this will go towards your, your ranking in the CMON competitive play. So, as far as uh, them building a Masters and having the in-person tournament uh, because of coronavirus. I don't think that's going to be possible. We'll have to stay tuned with Robert to see what they decide with that as these conventions start to come around, and we'll see what gets, what gets canceled and how much CMON's participating in those. But for sure, this event, whatever record you bring and, and whatever army you're bringing and things like this, it'll start to count towards your your competitive play with CMON. So you're, you're trying to get your ranking up. Um, as far as CMON competitive play. So it's super cool, super exciting. Uh, Robert is sending really cool prize support, so that's awesome. Uh, and then I've got some prizes. Dave, you're bringing some prizes. And it's just generally going to be a really good time. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, the coronavirus vaccine has been getting pushed around, uh, particularly in Indianapolis, so the restrictions are pretty they're not completely let up, but we're definitely able to safely do this event and be in compliance with Indiana law. So everybody coming is going to be a safe, great time. Uh, we're going to have tons of hand sanitizer, masks, and everything needed to keep this a safe event. But most of all, I am excited to throw dice in real life, not on TTS. Uh, my charming personality coming out and all of the animation that comes with it, I'm just so excited to be playing in person again. Um, and I hope we get some streams and some things like this to kind of keep up with you guys. I am going to make a very strong attempt to just do something like a live YouTube or a live uh, Facebook stream or a live YouTube stream. Uh, just trick my 12-year-old daughter into following me around with a camera and, and see some live action. But at the very least, we'll have lots of pictures and videos to kind of show you guys that, uh, yeah, I'm just rambling because, yeah, I'm so pumped 
for this weekend, pumped to get some models on the table. Yeah, and uh, a bunch of small council will all be there. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Chris from Sunday Slaughter is going to be there as well. Uh, just a bunch of people, so if you have the time, try to try to come out. There's a bunch of really good uh, hotels that you can book that are within walking distance, let alone driving distance, of where the tourna tournament will be held, uh, as well as a lot of great places to, for food. Um, so yeah, definitely check it out. Check out uh, the post on the Facebook page, or you can even go on uh, a song on a song of ice and fire stats.com and sign up there and you'll be able to find out the details uh, for what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Brett, it's 100% 1.6 in every way. It's 100% 1.6, 1.6 game modes. The only exception is honed and ready. Um, that scenario was chosen. I, I'm a fan of the scenario, so I'm happy with that. Um, that one is kind of like a hybrid 1.6, 1.7. But other than that, uh, Game of Thrones will be the 1.6. Dance with Dragons will be the 1.6. And uh, Dark Wings, Dark Wars is going to be something of a hybrid as well. But we won't be using the new mission cards. So for the most part, it's all 1.6. And then as far as the units that are allowed go, as is stated in the tournament document, it's everything that's U.S. retail available at the time of the event. I did basically a cutoff for releases that happened this month. There weren't really any big releases, so it's essentially everything except for War Mammoth, Mother of Dragons, Stormcrow Dervishes. Um, there might be something else I'm spacing. The attachment box uh, is fine. Pikeman. Uh, Unsullied Pikeman, yes, Unsullied Pikeman. Um, but, yeah, other than that, we're, we're good to go. Awesome. And then uh, our guest is actually on. Uh, Brett, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce our guest for tonight? Our guest is a gentleman I started speaking with uh, on Facebook, actually, and then he is a very well-known presence on the Discord. you got to love this guy. He's the rules lawyer. It is the man of the wall himself, uh, Jonathan, a.k.a. Awful. The ass hat of the wall. What, what's going on, Jonathan? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, good to have you on. Yep, can hear you loud and clear. Perfect. Uh, yeah, no, right. I was called the ass hat of the wall for a while there, yeah. <laughs> Actually, if you want to take a second, you can introduce yourself, tell us your gaming background, but most of all, you definitely can take this opportunity to shout out to all of our listeners those amazingly fantastic Brotherhood Without Banners cards that you're working on that you're asking the community to play test, and we will definitely post any link that you have to those cards so that the community can see them. I'll let you tell them about them. They're very well done, super, super cool. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I stumbled upon this game by accident one day. I just went into my store to pick up some Warhammer stuff, and I guess they just got their Kickstarter wave in, like, back when the game first launched. I think it was like the November after it came out. And I could not resist because I think season eight was, you know, coming up. I won't talk about that too much, but we were still excited at the time. So I bought into the game. My birthday was coming up. My girlfriend bought me all the stuff. So I picked up Night's Watch for myself because I could not resist the Scorpion models. I thought they looked beautiful. 
and I was in love ever since. I don't think I've played a game of Warhammer since, so that's a good good thing. Um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much how I got into the game. Um, and I guess it was uh, a, a bit of a practical joke. I started doing uh, fake cards. I think the first one I did was uh, 1.6 Ghost. Uh, and I posted it on Discord, and somebody shared it on Facebook, and then it turned into this whole thing, and I had to come clean and say, sorry, guys, that was me who made that, which I thought was hilarious. And then Michael got a shout-out there. He's, they were talking about it on uh, Chase's podcast, so I thought that was fun. And, uh, yeah, I guess we just got super bored with uh, the long wait. I know everybody's been struggling with that, so I, I thought, you know, what's a good way to make use of my time here? I'm not really playing up in Canada, so I thought, let's take my Photoshop skills and do something new. And uh, that, there's a couple things that weren't being tackled. I think our options were Veil, uh, the Golden Company, and the Brotherhood Without Banners. So I'm glad I didn't pick the Veil because I had no idea that other guy was working on them. So that worked out perfectly. And, yeah, so we've got – I don't know. We, I don't know. If you guys want to ask me questions, I don't even know where to start. There's so much. We've basically got an entire faction done. To be honest, we could probably almost do an entire small council show just covering the Brotherhood Without Banners, but we we are here to talk about the Night Watch today, so I know <laughs> that you guys right. are super excited about that. But definitely drop us a link to where uh, any of the listeners can easily access those cards and have a look and start playtesting some of those units. Absolutely. You have got very, very cool uh, game mechanic ideas that you've worked into them. They are just really, really well done, so... Sounds good. I'll send that your way. Yeah, I actually took so, screenshots uh, of all your all the Brotherhood Without Banner stuff so I could try them out. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got it all loaded on TCS too, and we have it as a saved object so you can play it with versus 1.6 or 2021. We are That's trying phenomenal. to aim for a 2021 balance just because I mean moving forward that makes sense, but it's hard to do. You know, as new things come in, I got to change stuff here and there. So makes sense. It's still phenomenal. Really good work. Thank you. So, uh, I guess we can pretty much just jump right into uh, the all the new, you know, awesome stuff that we've been given here with the Night's Watch. Uh, so, Brett is on to kind of, you know, I guess hold me back a little bit. I, you know, I'm normally pretty optimistic. Uh, there's a couple things I, I'm kind of iffy about. So, Brett is kind of here to, uh, you know, kind of balance balance out this show. Um, but I don't think anything here is like horrible by any means. Uh, just you know, some concerns, I guess. Uh, but overall, I think Simon uh, has still done an amazing job with uh, with this reveal. So uh, we can jump right into the tactics deck. First up, we have the Sword in the Darkness. When a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, if the defender has not activated this round, they become panicked and vulnerable. If the attacker is a Night's Watch unit, attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, this unit's melee attacks gain plus one attack die. So, card, uh, the before being activated, it's kind of iffy. It's going to definitely make it... uh, you know, the chances that you're going to have this card go off is going to be a lot less uh, than the light that brings it on, which we'll talk about uh, in a moment. But, uh, yeah, Brett, how do you feel about this card? 
Um, to be honest, I think it's basically a – okay, so if you compare between 1.6 and the, the 2021 update, the instances in which you just straight up pick up attack dice are slim to none. There's not a whole lot of them that we've seen. So for me, the fact that you still get plus one attack dice is great. Um, overall, as I'm looking at the cards, and now this, this is evaluating everything, um, I view this as a straight buff. Uh, and I view it as a straight buff because the likely instances where you're going to play this card are uh, taking the free attack to start the round. Uh, your opponent's not activated. You're getting the vulnerable that you used to get, but you're also getting a panic token now, which is huge. Um, and I'm, tr I'm definitely trading the plus two dice when you own the swords for just plus one dice all of the time. So for me, where I'm coming from as a Nightwatch player, this is just a straight buff because I don't have to worry about owning the swords. I don't have to judge between holding onto this card or the Shield of the Realms of Men or the Fire That Burns Against the Cold. Do I need to throw out this panic token to make something happen this round? Um, so for me, I'm just way happier with this. Now, what comes to mind for me with this card in particular as you guys know, small council, uh, uh, at that last Adepticon tournament, I was being an absolute terror with Night's Watch Flayed Men. So I'm looking at the new Flayed Men, and I'm looking at the Sword in the Darkness, and the Sword in the Darkness was a key card to making my Night's Watch Flayed Men work because they handed out the Panic Token when they charged. I could make you vulnerable, critical blows, all that stuff. My Flayed Men were doing heavy work. I'm looking at the Flayed Men, I'm looking at this card, and I'm seeing my old... Nine-point Night's Watch Flademen are now in an eight-point bundle. And, uh, man, I'm just really liking the potential of playing this card on a unit of Flademen, on a unit of Bastard Girls, uh, something such as this. Um, it's just looking great to me. Um, I'm just I'm very happy overall with the card as a Night's Watch player. I think it's fair that it stipulates that the unit they're attacking hasn't activated. Otherwise, it would just be insane. It's in line with what they're saying with uh, lots of freebies and, and things like this. You're going to have to actually put some thought into this uh, when you actually play this card. So I think overall I'm happy with it. But, again, reiterating, I think the card's a straight buff when you look so at everything. Just, so just to clarify, you're talking about the neutral stuff. You're just talking about the first part of it, correct, since the uh, attached can only be to a Night's Watch unit? Oh, yeah, uh, of course. I'm fine. I'm fine with my Flayed Min charging. Seven attack dice, hitting on threes, making you uh, – getting critical blows when they're charging. They're making you vulnerable. They're making you panicked, and they've got the built-in minus three, D3 plus one for their panic. I'm setting them up with a panic token and a vulnerable token. I'm seeing these flayed men crashing in and just doing so much damage, even yep, without the plus power. I'm fine, I'm, fine, I'm fine with throwing the card out just for that one massive attack. Well, as we've seen, we've already seen a Jorah four-point NCU that could go then get that uh, card from the discard pile, you know, worst-case scenario. So, um, you know, neutrals are definitely not out of the question if you start if you decide to run the Jorah Mormont uh, NCU um, if you just want to get the first effect. Uh, Justin, how do you feel about this? Uh I don't know. I guess everything Brett said, I look at it and I see the plus one attack die just all the time without any kind of stipulation to it being incredibly powerful, especially in what we've seen, like the direction in which the game's going. Um, panic vulnerable, too. Those are the two damage dealing 
tokens. So this this card's going to hurt all the time. I guess for me, but this is also why Brett wins and I don't, uh, I would like to use it on a Night's Watch <laughs> thing over a neutral thing because I like to try to get maximum efficiency out of a card. But I totally understand what he's saying in the fact. Brett, I swear to God, if you're the reason Flademan get changed again, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, I, as we get into this conversation, you're going to see that I am just absolutely loving the mono Night's Watch. So will I play Night's Watch Flademan? Probably, because I have those two converted units that are painted in my Night's Watch green. But is it going to be a staple? Probably not. I, I'm really digging all of the Night's Watch and uh, all of the possible combinations that you can play, but we'll get to that. I will not get your Flademan nerf, Justin. Please don't. I need them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, that's actually like really cool that uh, you like the idea of uh, mono Night's Watch. I always... When I play games, I, I or war games, I really do enjoy playing mono things. It just it feels right. It's it's neat to know that your mono faction can play exceptionally well. So that's that's a cool thing for sure. Yeah, that was kind of you know, uh, and this isn't really to take like a dig. Uh, this is just something that kind of popped in my head. You know, but like playing when I would play Warhammer, uh, I would always like 40k. I would always feel like I had to run units from different uh, factions or, you know, from uh, Forge World or whatever the case may be in order to really optimize my stuff. But I feel like, uh, you know, they've done such a great job to, like you said, Justin, to make like a, a mono type build really still shine and work just fine. Uh, so, Jonathan, how are you kind of feeling about this card? Um, I mean, I don't think there's anything really to hate about it. Uh, I think everything that needs to be said has really been said. I personally love it more for the bottom half. Um, I know Brett was talking about the token play on it, but uh, I'm going to play just to get the dice, even if everything's already been activated. I think that's such a strong card to get out there. And I think that's exactly why the top part is limited to being, you know, not activated units. Otherwise, the whole card um, definitely an improvement over the last variant, even though the dice count is lower because you do get the extra tokens and you always have the die now. So all around, yeah. And I think. and one important thing to note is that uh, if I'm not mistaken, you can still play this card uh, if your enemy has activated to at least get the attached part. You just Absolutely. won't get the tokens. Uh, not only that, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, you would get the plus one attack bonus immediately with the attack because uh, attacker is a nice watch unit attaches the card to that unit to the end of the game while attached. So, I mean, you don't do each effect as you read them down the card. You're doing the whole card, so you're attaching it, and you're still at that trigger of before attack dice are rolled, which is when you're determining number of dice. Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that, and that's how the game has been played since one point whatever and onward, right? Like that's this is how the sword in the darkness has always worked. I know there's some people online discussing that they think it works otherwise, but uh, I mean, like whether or not the rulebook could be cleared up, there's another topic of conversation. But uh, that is one of the strengths without having the zones is these cards all work right away. So, 
Well, and I think one thing that kind of lends to it working the way that we're talking about is, uh, as we'll talk about in a minute, the shield that guards the realms of men um, stipulates that it's after completing the attack you attach the card. Right. Uh, and you wouldn't need that different wording on the card if the other ones needed to complete the attack before attaching. Um, but to jump jump right into, uh, we're going to talk about the Light That Brings the Dawn because it's a similar-ish card in the fact that it's when a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice. This attack may re-roll any misses. If the targeted if targeted Night's Watch unit attached this card to that unit until the end of the game, while attached when attacking enemies with more remaining ranks, this unit's attacks roll their highest attack die value. Now, again, this is a card that does not... Uh, um, or that would attach immediately. And I think this is the perfect, like, it's not necessarily set for charge, but it's the perfect card to not have to worry about being charged first because this card is essentially giving you those rerolls as if you had charged. And then even if that charge on you skimmed off a rank, uh, you are now still attacking at highest attack die value because they'll be at full, you'll be at two ranks, and you know it'll be almost as if you charged charged into them, and it, it'll give you a lot of play on the rest of the field, knowing that you can activate something else first. Uh, Jonathan, I'll start with you on this one. How do you feel about this? Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is one of the first spoilers we got for Night's Watch was Corrin, and it's to the last man, light that brings the dawn. He's always attacking at his highest die values. It might not be the most competitive play, but I definitely feel like they really nailed the fluff factor on that one. So I, I really love the card just for the combo potential that it has. Although I do have to say, the initial teaser for the light that brings the dawn did work on ranged attacks, and I was super excited to put that on my crossbows, but that got taken away. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, uh, uh, Justin? How do you feel about this one? Uh, I mean, I'm jealous, I guess. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, so, like, as a neutral player, I believe one of the cards that was shown was uh, something similar, just without the buff, obviously. Uh, instead, the other stipulation was auto-pass near your commander, which is, uh, I think, a good trade-off. So, like, you can look at these two cards as being very similar. Yeah, I know, faction context. But I feel like... When it comes to morale, faction context is uh, oh, we're not talking really... about uh, the light that brings the dawn. Ah, crap. I looked at the wrong <laughs> one. Uh, I don't know. I didn't look too hard at the Night's Watch um, ranks, so that's pretty important. But as I'm looking at them, it seems like this card's going to definitely have a whole lot of potential. Uh, what like Everything seems to hit on threes, so the rerolls are nice, uh, but I feel like um, being able to swing at full ranks when you're almost dead, when you need to, is going to be super fantastic, especially uh, if you can manage to keep that unit alive. And I'm guessing uh, as Night's Watch, they're going to they're gonna have some beefy boys that are going to be able to stay alive for a long time. Yeah, I think this card will be kind of It'll be amazing on Sworn Brothers in the in the sense of the attached part. The rerolls, not so much uh, because of either if they're charging already or because of their martial training, uh, but um, the attached part, you know, is can be huge for Sworn Brothers because they're only swinging at four dice at last rank. So um, I think it does uh, appear that they definitely got... have a place. 
does appear that they got much harder to kill too. Not only is it plus one morale, but with panic, uh, it's going to be pretty intense, I think. So, because they were six, if I wasn't mistaken, so now they're at five. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Brett? Raw. You still with us? Uh, yeah. This, <laughs> uh, it's it's just a it's just a good all around card. Um, it's a little bit situational, but I I think the 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 Val effect is playing off of the fact that they expect the Night's Watch to be outnumbered most of the time. Um, they get expensive really fast from, from what we've seen already. You don't necessarily think about it, but then, you know, when you start to realize if you're taking four of these seven-pointers with even just a, a, one attachment, you know, um, much less the fact that we've seen the three-point attachments that exist, you know, you start to realize, like, your activation count's going to be pretty low. Um, so they're expecting them to be um, – kind of surviving until the very end, and uh, this card makes sense for that. Um, I really like it from the fluff standpoint of this super elite army that's just swinging uh, as much as they can all the way down to the last guy, and of course, as Oppo mentioned, it's got that great uh, synergy with uh, Corn. Yep. Uh, next up, we're going to jump into the Shield that Guards the Realms of Men. When an enemy is performing an attack, after rolling defense dice, target the defender. They may reroll any defense dice. If this targeted a Night's Watch unit after completing this attack, attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, each time this unit is attacked, after rolling defense dice, it blocks plus one, plus one hit. So, uh, I think this is better than the old one in the sense that, I mean, it, you can kind of say that for all of them because you don't require a spot. I think this one is just overall just better. It has less of a ceiling, I think, because of, uh, you know, D3. If you rolled really awesome with the current one, you know, you could be blocking, you know, just about everything. But I think this one's just a lot more reliable. What do you think about this one, Jonathan? Yeah, um I think, yeah, it's a lot more reliable. Um, I don't miss rolling because I always roll my D3s terribly. So I'll welcome <laughs> the static plus one block. And I think this is the first time we've ever seen re-rollable defense saves. So I think that's a really cool uh, addition to the game. And it, it completely nullifies the vulnerable token because uh, at least on your turn, or no, their turn, yeah, they would use the vulnerable token first. So then you get to reroll your defenses after. So it, it definitely ups the survivability of the Night's Watch. And yeah, like Brett said, if we got less guys on the table, we're going to need every man to count. So. Yep. Brett, how do you feel about the shield? Straight buff. <laughs> Again, similar <laughs> situation as Sword in the Darkness. Sure, you're not going to get the spike when you roll a three on the on the D3 wounds, but I'm trading that, you know, potential and the variable D3. I'm trading that every single time for a reverse vulnerable token, which is exactly what this is, the reverse vulnerable token. Uh, simply fantastic. Um, as Jonathan mentioned, it's the first time we've seen it in the game. I'm sure that it's not the last time we'll see it. Um, and it's a really cool effect. It's, uh, it's interesting that it didn't exist up until now, but, hey, they brought it in. Um, <clears throat> I think it's cool. 
um, and then I will trade my flat one every single time for having to own the money back to potentially block D3. Um, I'm just super happy um, with the card. In my opinion, this is the second best card in the game that we've seen. It is second only to field control because field control is literally like such a screw you card. <laughs> it, is such, <laughs> it is such a high level of I don't even want to go near the horses. I don't even want to take them and get punished. Like, the horses <laughs> is often awesome when you play Targaryen. That zone doesn't even exist. <laughs> much, much less the fact that it, it flat out cancels cards like the Endless Horde right now. Um, blocks out flanking, but that's not what we're talking about. The Shield of the Realms of Men, for me, it's it's a huge winner. This is probably going to break hearts. It's one of those cards that I don't think uh, some people are going to look at it and they're not going to realize just how powerful this card is until it's played on them. And they're like, yes, six hits. And then it's like, oh, no, and you re-rolled them, and now I got like one wound through. That really sucked. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yep. it's... Uh, it's strong. We know that token mechanics in this game are powerful. Uh, we've been playing with tokens, so we know just how good they are. And anything that's basically an opposite token is going to be just as powerful as the token. So, uh, a phenomenal card, a really nice design space. Um, and I mean, this is how you, this is how you make an elite army feel elite. And an army that's got a bunch of guys with four plus defensive saves and five plus defensive saves, you. Make them feel elite by letting them reroll hit or reroll their defensive save. Yep. Now, Justin, I have to ask, how do you feel about this card, especially when you can uh, uh, kind of compare it to um, the neutral card that can block some hits? I know they're they're not necessarily the same. They're you know they're kind of different in a lot of ways, but. You know, the fact that this one will attach and block one, like, the entirety of the game, whereas, uh, you know, the neutral card, I forget what it's called, uh, is only going to block one, maybe two, if it's your commander. Yeah. Yeah, it's tactical approach. Uh, I mean, this card's, like, completely better. Uh, Even (laughs) in the context of the army, like, it it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's better in every way. Um, you get both effects no matter what. Uh, in the tactical approach, you get one effect once, and then the other, the plus one. But you have the versatility of being able to change um, tactical approach to hits or def- blocks. So I guess that's the justification, but this card's ridiculously good. Like, vulnerable tokens are amazing. And this is a reverse vulnerable token, as we've all pointed out, uh, which is the most noticeable thing about the card, which... Definitely raises the question of why we haven't seen it before. I feel like it was so obvious. Way to catch us off guard there, Simon. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this card's phenomenal. Uh, I got nothing else to say about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. It's, this card, especially, you know, it, it's a tactics card. You don't know it's coming. So you could be banking on, like, a super huge uh, charge into them and, you know, play the shield and basically nullify their attack and then, you know, swing back with uh, the combat zone or something, you know, because they were expecting to, like, decimate your unit to where the combat zone really wasn't going to be very effective. So I think this card, uh, like you are saying, Brett, it's 
it's arguably the best of these seven, but uh, they all kind of stand out as amazing cards. Uh, the next we're going to talk about is the Watcher on the Wall. After a friendly unit is attacked, target one friendly combat unit other than the Defender. That unit pivots, then shifts two. If this unit is a Night's Watch unit, attach this card to that unit until the end of the game. While attached, this unit gains plus one move and may reroll any charged distance dice. So um, I know why they uh, did the wording the way they did with the pivot and the shift two. Uh, they didn't want it to be a maneuver um, because of uh, quick, fire. Um, quick fire on the Ranger Hunters. So that was good that they made sure to, you know, just word it as a shift that gets a pivot. Um, being able to get plus one move and charge, re-roll charge distance dice is crazy strong. The first effect is just kind of, I don't know, it's okay. I, You could definitely make it amazing, uh, especially if you're just out of range and you shift, you know, just too forward uh, to get within range, especially then getting plus one move and then char re-rolling charge distance. You could almost ensure a charge with another unit that was very iffy before. Uh, Jonathan, how do you kind of feel about this one, especially compared to the rest of the deck? Um, it's sad to see our old card go, but I completely understand why. That card uh, was probably the best card in our old deck. Um, and yeah, like you said, the shift maneuver wording seems entirely intentional with quick fire. Um, I think this card is going to get played more for its bottom half now, as before people played it more for the uh, top half, um, which I think it's fine considering the rest of the deck's been toned down. Um, that extra move and uh, guaranteeing those those crucial charges, I think, are going to be really important. So. Yep. Especially if you, uh, let's see, target one combat. So you could even target, like, the ranger trackers, shift them up to, now they're movement seven. They can free maneuver seven, then, uh, you know, yeah. shoot by shifting another two. I mean, you've just gone, what, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven inches, and now can shoot six inches. Uh, <laughs> your threat range is crazy, bit, uh, crazy long for uh, if you attach this to them. I do got to also say, I like that they also clarified that it, uh, in this version, it's targeting not the defender. So I like that they included that on the card. This time, so. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, it is, uh, pretty crazy though, that, uh, it, it can target, I believe anyone it has no range. So, I mean, you could make right. it super versatile. Yeah. You don't How have do you that range. You don't have that range, uh, you know, that long range, I think it was. But, uh, I mean, you're moving two inches. It's, you know, give and take relationship on the balance of these now. Yeah, especially, uh, let's see. Yeah, so, like, diversion tactics for the free folk, you know, after an enemy unit completes a melee attack, defender has already activated this round, target one friendly unit within long. Perform. I mean, it ends up being a maneuver, but... I mean, I'd gladly take the shift and then a permanent buff to mm -hmm. movement and no restriction uh, and no uh, activated uh, stipulation. I mean, man, uh, even though I think it's one of the weaker cards of these seven, I think it's still amazing. Um, I think it's it's really good. How do you feel about it, Brett? 
Uh, you know, the old watcher on the wall uh, was a real gotcha card. It was a, you know, when you're playing Night Watch, that was the card that it was like, uh, beware the watcher on the wall. Make be very careful when you choose to attack and and, and be aware of the watcher because it's game changing. Um, it, it had to change <laughs> the march. I mean, it was that card. We've all seen it. I mean, you just pulled some insane stuff with that card, and it was out of nowhere. Uh, with that said, um, you guys mentioned the two inch shift, and and for me the for me it's like the battle of the bows, right? Um, and we've seen when two range units are fighting each other, it's like, well, who's going to move into range and get shot first, and who's right. going to, you know, who's going to break the ice between the bows? Who's eating the first volley? But in this case, you can keep your bowmen like 16 inches back. Their bowmen can't shift up and shoot you, so they shift up and shoot one of your buddies. One of your buddies is the watcher on the wall that lets you know you shift up to. Now you can shift up and shoot their bows. Uh, you know, something like this. But uh, it's still as versatile as it was before. Uh, with, as you guys mentioned, the infinite range. But I'm looking at that bow effect, and it's like, oh. Now, the old Watcher on the Wall's <laughs> bow effect is absolutely phenomenal. Of all the bow cards, I think that one and the fire that burns against the cold were, um, and I, I don't want to sound elitist here, so if I sound that way, don't take it this way. The way that people played those two cards in particular in a Night's Watch list was kind of like what set apart the casual Night's Watch player from, like, the hardcore player. You know, the, the hardcore player would use, oh, and the horn. The hardcore player would use the horn, the watcher, and the fire to just pull some amazing combos that people just never saw coming. Uh, the, the old free retreat if you own the horse um, and things like this. But I see the vow effect from this one as just being in your face openly good. The old vow effect was probably better just because of the combos that you could pull off, and it was easy for people to forget about that free retreat. Uh, but this one is just, like, in your face. So good. Rerolling charge distance and the plus one movement permanently. Night's Watch are already fast. Their whole army's movement five. So getting them up to movement six, and then, like Dave said, those movement seven ranger trackers that can ignore uh, dangerous, hindering, and rough, it's really going to get those guys in the place where they want to be. And when I was reviewing these, these units with George, I called the Ranger Trackers. They're like the finesse, high-skill unit that somebody's going to take, and they're going to litter the battlefield with stakes, and they're going to make you hate your life when they're playing your Ranger Trackers. So I think this card into them just makes them that much scarier and that much more of that like super high-skill unit that somebody is just going to they're going to make you hate life. I mean, we've seen it with the current <laughs> Ranger Trackers point unit. Um, every Night's Watch player that plays Night's Watch competitively doesn't leave home without Ranger Trackers in at least one of the lists. Um, some of the more notorious known Night's Watch players, Griffin Leeds, um, Ron Krasnick, and then even myself, were not opposed to, to running three or four Ranger Trackers in 1.6 because that's just such a good unit. Um, be interesting to see. Yep. Uh, Justin, did I uh, uh, call on you yet about this one? No, but, I mean, I, all I'm <laughs> going to say about it is, like, I totally get the bow mechanic, but this is, there are so many. I feel like the hardest part about being a Night's Watch player is going to be, oh, man, what crazy buff do I want to give this unit? <laughs> <laughs> like, these are super powerful. This shift is nice alone, but, like, 
I feel like plus one and re-rolling charge dice is crazy good. Maybe I'm just a naysayer, though. I don't, I don't know. Like That's super good. I'm jealous. I guess that's all I have to say. Maybe I'll play Night's Watch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so next up, we'll talk about Take the Black. Now, one thing, when I first read this card that immediately came to mind, and then I, I feel like uh, On the Table Gaming podcast kind of confirmed it, was, you know, this is the only card that does not attach I believe of the seven but I think it's just because they loved the mechanic of this card so much they had to leave it in there they thought like and I don't I don't disagree I think it's really cool but I think they thought that this you know taking a model from your enemy and then attaching it as if they had to take the black um, was too good of a card and too like iconic to pass up that they had to leave it in there, and uh, I I can't uh, fault them for that because I think it's a great uh, a great card. But um, it does it did change. It's when an enemy unit is destroyed, target one friendly Night's Watch infantry unit in short range. That unit restores four wounds. You may take one infantry attachment from the destroyed enemy and attach it to that unit, replacing a model that uh, unit as normal, but ignoring the usual attachment limits. So uh, if you take an attachment, it's still only four total wounds that you're gaining, if I'm reading this correctly. Uh, but still, no longer are you rolling, I believe, D3 plus one. Uh, and it is interesting to see that there is a when an enemy unit is destroyed uh, card in here. Um, it's not something that you really see that often from what we've seen that's been revealed. So it's nice to see that they're rewarding uh, you know, cards that uh, have to wait for something to die to give a great effect. Um, this card is uh, amazing, but that's because, you know, it's a dead card until the end of the game. Uh, I think, um, you know, Jonathan, how do you feel about this and its change? Um, this was the second thing that drew me into when uh, somebody was pitching me at the store, they were like, oh, yeah, nice watch. I have to take the black. You can take other people's characters. And I was like, oh, that sounds really <laughs> awesome. I love it. Didn't even know the game. He sold me on the take the black card. Um, it was always my favorite card fluff-wise, but I felt uh, I hated that the heal mechanic was always more important than taking an attachment. I think there was one time it paid off better, and it's because I took an Unsullied Officer, but now we have our own. So that's cool. Um, so I love that you get both. I love that you get both because now it's no longer a choice. You get your heal, and if they had an attachment, you guys take that attachment. Uh, it's just straight buff, no rolling attachment, hands down, probably my favorite card. I, it may not be the best because the battle mechanics all compound, but I love the flavor of the card. So. What about you, Brett? Oh, it, it always has to be story time with Brett, right? We have to tell stories of <laughs> of tournaments in Indy and really funny moments. But I will never forget um, when I was playing John Hurley on top table. Gonna gonna throw you out there, John, if you're listening. Um, I had John Snow veterans uh, right around the time they were at their peak. Everybody hated them, um, and I stole Edard. <laughs> so I had John Snow and Edard in my veterans. And it was it was just so funny and ridiculous. It's like, ha ha, so much healing. <laughs> but 
No, this card, uh, Jonathan's right. It's it's flavorful. It's cool. I'm glad they chose to keep it in the game. It's so fitting and it's neat. And then I have to throw one more shout out here. Um, Throw him under the bus. Uh, The legendary uh, Stark player who has been on our podcast before, Larks. I played take the black on Larks. He's he's gonna he's gonna tinker around with Night's Watch in 2021. So. I uh, I had that card in my back, back. I had that card in my back pocket, slipped in his inbox, and played it on him. So <laughs> we, that's another shark player I've taken. <laughs> but uh, no, this card is uh, that's so strong. Uh, like you know Austin what? Said more often. Uh, now, that I, now that I recall, sorry, I, the person I took against officer was from you. I was I think our, our first game playing together. We were just playing uh, you know a casual game, Night's Watch versus Targaryens, and. Yeah, the one I took the uh, Unsullied Officer from. I think that was yeah, the one time bad. I got a good use of an attachment. Yeah, you stole my Bastard Girl Unsullied Officer. I was playing yeah. around with that unit. It was neat, and I was like, oh, now it's in the Sworn Brothers. Sweet. It's that getting the four heal, not needing to roll the D3, that is so powerful and so so good. And uh, I, I don't have the card in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, you can spread that love around your army, right? I don't it's think target so. Any, target any number of Night's Watch units and heal up to four, correct? No, target one friendly within short. Oh, okay. That, Never mind. That I, unit restores yep, four. <laughs> yeah, I'm mistaken. Sorry. I thought it was Yeah, I like think you're thinking of... I feel like nah, there might I'm, have been I'm, something. I'm mistaking it with something else. I'm mistaking it with something else. This happens. My brain is full of 1.7 and 1.6 stuff, so I'm just simply getting it confused. No worries. Um, even still, a powerful card, you, you automatically count as, uh, I guess compared to the old version, you automatically count as rolling a three. So it's just a big burst heal from killing a unit. It's a really big swing. Depending on how many guys you killed in that unit to be able to play this card, it's like, you know, up to a, I guess if you one-shot them, it's up to a 16-wound swing. Pretty crazy. That's unlikely to happen. But realistically, it's probably going to be like a 7, 8, 9-wound swing. It's pretty huge in this game. Yep. What about uh, you, Justin? How do you feel about it? I actually am on the same boat. If I really liked the card before, um, it's not a card that I think if it happens against you, you're like, oh, my God, because you're already pretty upset from losing your unit. So it's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> just, just take it. Can't really be that <laughs> much worse. Salt on the wound. <laughs> I'm already upset, so you're not doing anything else. Uh, no, nah, it's fine. <laughs> this is a cool card. I like it. Now, uh, the kind of the reverse of that we have, and now his watch is ended. But instead of when your unit is destroyed, you have start of any turn. Uh, attach this card to a friendly Night's Watch unit. While attached, when another friendly Night's Watch unit is destroyed, you may discard this card if you do. Move one friendly attached tactics card from that unit to this unit. This unit then performs one attack maneuver or march action. So uh, this card, I think, is, you know, amazingly strong, especially when you combined it with uh, some of the units that we're going to be seeing. Uh, not only that, uh, as I've, you know, as we've seen with a lot of other, uh, you know, factions, cards that are similar to this, it only requires one 
unit to die to really get its effect. Granted, it is a one-time effect, but a free attack is huge, as we all know, with uh, the current um, uh, the current uh, the North remembers getting a free attack, amazingly good. Um, and then it's versatile enough that you're going to have a free maneuver or march with it. Uh, and I do like that they stipulated uh, that the unit that dies has to be a Night's Watch unit. Um, so you won't be able to play this if uh, Brett's uh, sad little uh, Flademan die. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Brett? Oh, it looks like uh, Brett had to go. Oh, man. Well, I guess, uh, Jonathan, how do you feel about that? <laughs> um, this is probably my second favorite card, um, and it is probably going to be the first card I fish for if I use Jor. There is a lot of combo potential here, and you could even, if you have both of these cards on the field, it only takes one unit to die to trigger both of them, which I don't know if that's intended or not, but it's a really cool maneuver you can pull off. Um, again, maybe not intentional or not, but uh, Corrin triggers this card too, even if he doesn't die, because he counts as being destroyed. Um, so I think the big brain play here is you let Corrin die, you trigger now his watch is ended, you do your attack maneuver first, and then you roll to keep Corrin alive. Um, so you can get some really cool plays. Um, I wasn't surprised to see this one change. You saw the other... the and the Baratheon card all had very similar mechanics where it was attached to the card, you know, at the beginning of your turn, if something dies, do this. So I, I do like it, though. It's a lot – you don't get your NCU back, but it opens up a lot of cool plays. So uh, I don't know if Corrin has been revealed yet, but, uh, yeah, if he, if he still has Oh, that, no, he, uh, he was in one of the articles, yeah. Oh, he was? Yeah, I know his uh, attachment was. I don't recall. That's what being, I meant. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like with his to the last order, even if his unit oh. dies, you can still play. Now his watch is ended. You get your attack maneuver, march action, but you could keep your unit still. I see. I thought you were talking about the the current no. uh, NCU, because technically, if he stays that way, you could play this card with that too. You just wouldn't be able to get oh. a card from him. Oh, you know what? I didn't even I've, think of that one. That's a cool combo, too. Yeah, when a when another friendly Night's Watch unit is destroyed. So, granted, we haven't seen him yet, but if he does have that same effect, you could uh, kill him yourself just to trigger, let's say you have two of these already attached to two of your units. Um, you can, you know, if you really need that attack you can not only shut off your opponent, you could then trigger a free attack. Right. Yeah, and and that's that's where I see some of the biggest plays with this card. Like, it'll always come in handy, but I see some really cool moves with both Corn versions. Obviously, we don't know if the NC is confirmed yet, but it definitely has some value there because you, the, uh, you get the free attack maneuver march right away rather than being able to activate them later on. So. Yep. Uh Justin, what do you think about this one? Uh, I guess it's my mentality, but uh, while I know that this card's obviously going to be really good, uh, it's not one that I guess like sticks out naturally to me. Uh, it's one that I would only like get better with uh, as I played it. 
Um, not saying that there's anything wrong with it. I completely agree that this is probably an exceptionally good card. But for me, it's not like my, my shtick, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it is, I, I believe, the first one that doesn't stay attached permanently. But when you have good. five other... <laughs> Well, when you have five other tactics cards that all stay attached permanently, then I don't know if it's that big of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, from a, like a Night's Watch perspective, too, like uh, if they have seven cards that attach permanently, like you're not going to use them to attach. Like you're going to, I mean, yeah, you can cycle them out and stuff, but maybe you don't want to. So it's good that one or two and the uh, commander cards and stuff like that, not everything needs to attach. They already got 12 buffs. I think we're good. Well, the fact that there is no more limit now, you could attach all of them to a single unit. You just can't. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you just can't double up the same. I mean, technically, you could attach two shields, but only one will ever trigger. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, now there's no more restriction. Uh, there's technically not even a vow mechanic anymore. They're just attached cards, and they they talk about this on uh, on the table gaming podcast that it's just it's just to clarify things to make things easier. Uh, there really was no need to call them vows because that didn't really change anything with like keywords and whatnot. So. Uh, just simply making them attach cards save space, and it made it a lot simpler. And I, you know, uh, I think that's perfectly fine. I think uh, most people are just going to call them vows, anyways. That yeah, was probably. Actually, that was actually one of the things I did with some of my homebrew art. Is I came up with a rule card that had the vow rule text written on it, so I could save space on tactics. Because I was like, this is one of the things that got to go can create such cool cards if you didn't have half the cards taken up with that, you know, attached to a night's watch and yada, yada, yada. And so I like what they did with that. Yep. Um, let's see. So I believe the last card we have to talk about is I, in my opinion, probably the best card in the deck uh, the fire that burns against the cold. When a friendly unit is performing a morale test after rolling the dice, that unit may reroll any dice from this test. If uh, this targeted a Night's Watch unit, attach this card to the unit until the end of the game. While attached, each time this unit gains a condition token, it may suffer two wounds and minus one wound for each of its destroyed ranks. If it does, remove that token. So at last rank, you are basically immune to tokens uh they'll try to place it and it immediately pops off um even at uh your second rank you know taking one wound to you know per token is not a big deal because a vulnerable token a panic token those things are going to do way more than a wound to you uh in most cases uh jonathan how do you feel about this one uh, I, I, you know, got to bring up my man Corn again. Uh, this is the combo potential right there. So, you know, you get him down to the lab, you use his order, he comes back, he's got the uh, condition tokens, which everybody was super mad about at first. And then you see this card, you know, he's already down to his last rank, so it's free. You get to remove, um, you get to remove one of them, uh, the, I guess the vulnerable. And I think uh, Jor has some morale stuff in there too, so then that helps with the morale. And yeah, you get it then, you know, slap on your light that brings the dawn and corn is just going to town. So I mean I love all these cards and how they compound to make corn such a beastly unit. But I mean, even 
every other unit. They're, you're going to get such good potential with this. Um, yeah, like what Stannis loves his his uh, condition tokens now, so we can just remove them at will. Uh, love it. Well, not only that, but let's say the what killed the unit was the panic test. I mean, or let's say what would have killed them is the panic test, and you you play this out there to re-roll. Let's say if it was like a free attack. Um, you know, let's say they had top of the round, and the one way to kind of get around corn is to attack and then attack to use up that token or that order. Then you know you play this uh, to save you from that panic test to stay alive, attach yeah. it. Then when they go to a swing at you again, you have that order, and then you come back with no token, like with uh, no condition tokens and one wound remaining. I like that it's also stipulating you get a reroll of morale test rather than just panic test. So you can use it to also pass the panic test from coring if you fail that initially too. So yep. it's, not, it's not specific to panic. So now one thing is interesting that just came to mind though. Uh, it can be, uh, it gives a little more... Uh, reason to want to run Jor Mormont uh, NCU, it, you can't double play these cards. Uh, I wouldn't say all of them. I'd have to read them each one by one, but let's just say the fire that burns against the cold, like you were saying, let's say you already have it attached, but you need that reroll. Uh, from the wording of this card, you have to attach the second one. So you have to attach both to the unit. Uh, you can't choose to not attach it. So yeah. with that said is you won't be able to cycle it to another unit um, or put it to the discard pile to try to manipulate it some way that way. But Jor will allow you to, I believe, move it from one to unit to another. So I think that's just more of a reason, you know, to try to throw Jor in, uh, in some lists. Uh, Justin, how do you feel about it? Uh, you were kind of talking about it before and when – compared to like your uh, your neutral card that's similar. Yeah, so you're just replacing the uh, auto pass, which it's looking like Night's Watch aren't going to need to auto pass too often. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but um, you're replacing that with, uh, if you're almost dead, I'm not going to kill you with tokens, which is like good and bad, because if you're almost dead, there's there's a depending on the unit, of course, and, like, what's going on, there's a chance that you don't need a token to kill them. It's a fairly good chance. But also, that token really makes it to where you're gonna. So now they're going to have the potential of a unit staying around when you absolutely positively need it dead. Yep. Now, the w funny thing is that, uh, you know, looking back at Jorah Mormont Commander that was revealed, it's just funny that he has emboldened you know, friendly units within short range gain plus one to morale tests, and now we're looking at all these units that all have five up morales, and it just almost seems like overkill. I don't know. And now but we have the reroll, and we might not need it. So. Yeah. It's just like, what does he need to embolden? There are yeah. he, like super fearless, or nearly anyways. <laughs> um, so I, I guess you're just, you know, taking your, like, you know, amazing morale and cranking it up to 11 or 12 and just going, you know, come at me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, so to recap on the entirety of the deck, my uh, kind of the way I see it is all these cards are amazing. Um, my problem with them is they're 
too uh, easy. They're too easy to get all of the effects you want. Um, they all have fairly different uh, triggers, so they're fairly easy to play them, you know, you know, throughout your, you know, play them out of your hand to continuously cycle through your deck. Uh, they all, or most of them, have permanent buffs, uh, which is huge. Um, you don't require any zones for any of it. Uh, I think, I don't know, I am kind of on the fence that I don't like that how easy the deck is. Um, they are not only easily some of the best cards in the entirety of what we've been revealed, but they just, they don't require a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot of setup to them. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not really a lot of work that goes into making sure these cards uh, get you the benefit you need. Um, how do you kind of feel about that, uh, Jonathan? Uh, I do think the deck is one of the better ones we've seen. I, I don't think it's the best, but I mean, like, that, I think that's just personal taste. Um, I like that the cards are easy to play. I mean, I am a little biased. I do main Night's Watch. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to really judge it. I haven't obviously played any of these games yet. Um, I mean, they are toned down, but the Vow effects all don't have to be, you know, zone locked. Uh, so it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I want to get a few games in before I really say whether it's, uh, you know, OP or if it's, you know, underpowered or whatnot. But I mean, at first glance, I think it's definitely at least middle of the pack. Yeah. I guess uh, some of the cards, I guess what come, comes to mind is a lot of these attachment effects, maybe not like the plus one attack die and the plus one block, but like uh, the condition token one, the highest attack die value, the plus one move and charge distance, like those pop out to me as like one point attachments. Like you're permanently buffing your unit to almost almost the equivalent to like plus one uh, point for the remainder of the game as long as you, depending on at what point you have gotten to attach it. Attach it. And there's no real way around the cards without like a counterplot or killing the unit off, I guess. Is that being said, that's a mechanic I was always interested to see if they'll introduce the game and is removing attached tactic cards. Um, because like initially it was just Night's Watch who had them. Then I think it was Rattleshirt and then, you know, uh, Stannis. And then, you know, a few more came along and they all started attaching cards to units. And, and I thought to myself, like, I wonder when they're going to do some mechanic that removes tactics cards. So yep. I wonder if that's something that they'll ever tackle. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up. You know, maybe the deck is like this because there's something that hasn't been revealed yet that's going to be able to take them off. Because yeah. um, then with that said, if you could have a way to remove these from your opponent, then that definitely would make the deck, uh, you know, down a few pegs because, you know, their initial effect is just uh, a solid effect like really like a solid strong effect but there's definitely some other cards that we've seen that their initial effect is just better but uh the attach part is where it just it can it can get a little crazy if you're able to attach like three of these cards to one unit um but yeah like you said if there's something that can get rid of them that would definitely change things um justin how do you feel about it about the deck as a whole, uh, I mean, I guess yeah. I kind of said before, like the amount of buffs and the fact that you can stack them on units, 
uh, I, I was looking at the units, and they're really powerful. I feel like this is going to be a really hard army for anyone who's not exceptionally like, well, okay, so it's going to be a really hard army for newer players and kind of more casual players to deal with. I think I'll, I think they're going to get stomped quite often. <laughs> um, I think Night's Watch has always had that effect. I agree, uh, and I was about to say that, totally. Uh, Night's Watch is definitely a hard army to get used to fighting. They're pretty straightforward once you get it, but you have to watch out for so much stuff. Like, every time you attack, you're like, oh, man, is this going to be something that screws me over? And the answer is usually yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. They are really cool to to see all this new stuff. I think I think a lot of this stuff's really amazing, but slightly concerning. However, uh, I mean, I'm missing context here, obviously. So um, we'll see. We'll definitely see. My hope is that Donald Noy is awesome because I like Donald Noy in the books. Uh, they did reveal his commander. Uh, not I'm his, looking uh, at him. <laughs> not his cars yet, but. Um, but one last thing I wanted to bring up about the tactics deck, I was really hoping that we would see, um, I'm glad that they took out like all the different zones being needed. I mean, it was kind of cool idea, but I'm glad they took that part out. I still would have liked to have seen them want to focus on the wealth zone. Uh, I am actually only about an hour, uh, um, away from being done with the first uh, audiobook for Game of Thrones, finally. And the amount of times the Night's Watch had to beg for people in just the first book is insane. <laughs> it's like eight times or something like that. So with that said, it just seems like it would be flavorful if they needed the Wealth Zone to trigger some of their cards. Um, but maybe that's just me. Uh, Even and, the crown... Uh, I think it's there too because it's they're always asking the different kings, and then at the one point they say we don't care who's the king, you know, and they sent out five ravens to all five kings to send us men. Yep. Well, and and uh, one thing I was thinking of is that uh, you know now that the neutrals don't need the wealth zone in their tactics deck, the wealth zone being one of the spots or maybe the only spot, but like you were saying, the crown even, crown and wealth, uh, wouldn't have been that big of a deal because the, the crown isn't like super sought after bec uh, unless they need their effects. But uh, as we've seen with Lannisters, Joffrey can kind of sure up that you don't even need to take the spot. Then, uh, you know, you're really just fighting Baratheons for the crown. And then now with wealth, uh, I think it's just what Lannisters, I guess it, you'd, you would have uh, two Grey factions that needed. Well. Oh yeah, well they're kind of like indifferent though, right? They they want and don't want yeah, it. Yeah, they exactly. If you take it too. So, so it's hard to say, um, but uh, that was just something that kind of popped in my head, and I wanted to uh, gloss over before we move on to the units. So um, so we have let's see, one, two, three, four, five units that were revealed. One of which that was already revealed to us, which was the Sworn Brothers. Uh, so. We'll kind of just glance over them. They have the uh, four up save, uh, five up morale, five move, three up to hit, seven, five, four. Uh, they have their great sword, which is thundering. Uh, and then the martial training, which is an order when they perform a melee attack before rolling attack dice. They may re-roll attack dice and uh, the defender becomes vulnerable. So they've lost the critical blow. Personally, even and they lost uh, one die, I believe, on first and second rank, and they gained a morale. Overall, I think these guys just got 
way better. Uh, I know critical blow kind of increases the potential output based on how many sixes you could roll. But now I think these guys, even with less dice, are more frightening than they were before. I think their damage output, like on average, is actually higher than it was before. What do you think about them, uh, Jonathan? Um, I remember uh, when Chris was coming around and people were talking about, well, what could happen to Swarm Brothers? Everybody's worried we're going to lose Critical Blow. I mean, we did, but then uh, I think somebody made a comment about, like, is uh, Castle Black on fire yet? And we're like, no, no, we're all pretty cool with these changes. Yeah, we lost Critical Blow, but, I mean, we went from having a, a potentially swingy aggressive unit to a very reliably aggressive unit. So, I mean always getting the rerolls and getting that vulnerable token out there is going to do them a lot more benefit, I think, than maybe the random six here and there would. So I, I'm completely on board with these guys. Um, I think it's interesting, though, that they did lose the dice back down to seven, which is how many dice they had when they were six points. So it's it's an interesting <laughs> thing to see their development here. But Yep. Um, and... Some people are looking at these guys and saying they're too strong. Personally, I think they're about right where they should be. I think they're just on the very, like, the strong side of seven. Uh, but I even compare these guys to Berserkers at six points because they've already said on uh, yeah. the podcast, they haven't revealed the card yet, but they said on the podcast that the Sworn Sword Captain's uh, retaining his martial training. So basically you could put that one-point attachment into the Berserkers to give them the martial training, and uh, basically you're just trading off, you know, Sundering for uh, the... You get unyielding, uh, and then you get your plus to yeah. on your loss, yeah. And just and more dice, though, and you move faster. So I think, obviously, they're not the same, and, it, like, they're different. But the value uh, is very similar. Yeah, and I think uh, these guys are just better, uh, like for more of an alpha strike because they're going to start at that three up to hit with that sundering against and the armor. And you see, we get that but, reroll charge too. So, yep. And uh, whereas the berserkers are going to be more of the late game, you know, scariness. Where like if you can get the swarm brothers down to last rank four dice isn't all that big if you can't get the light that brings the dawn on them. Whereas mm -hmm. the berserkers, you know, late game are really going to be scary especially if you throw uh, Sundering on them with the... Uh, I forget which one it is that gives them Sundering now, but... Um, uh, Winter's Yeah, with their attack. Winter's Might, okay. I, I wasn't sure if it was Winter's Might or the Northern Ferocity. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, different enough, but on the same level that I'm okay with these guys at 7 and with the way they are. Uh, Justin, you how do you feel about this? Oh, go ahead, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I was going to say, we haven't really seen too many seven-point units outside Night's Watch, though, have we? Uh, I think Bastion just Pyromancer, Pyromancers. Yeah, uh, yeah so girls, if people... Just a couple. If people think they're too strong, I think that also comes down to, like, this is the first big batch of elite units we've really seen. So, like, there's a huge potential that all the other elite units and the other armies could be just as good. So it's it's hard to say. Yep. What do you think, Justin? I think this is a really good like starting place uh, for Night's Watch. It kind of to not to like jump ahead. It kind of confuses me that they're the same points as the veterans of the Watch, not because of like what they do, just the lore behind it. <laughs> it's a little strange, but no, this is a this is a good starting place. I mean, compare them to the other two 
seven points, even though they're different armies, like they're pretty on par. Both of those units are very disturbingly powerful. Can yeah. I jump in there? Yeah. <laughs> I think a good lore, if you want to explain it lore-wise, is uh, all the brother. once you're sworn in, you're just as valuable as everybody else. That's so you might be better point. trained, but they value everyone equally. That's a fair point. I don't know if that's their yeah. reasoning or not, but I mean... Well, I would probably... Well, in like, in Night's Watch 2, there's just as many vets as there is new guys, because their attrition rate is not great. <laughs> it's, they struggle a little bit, so you don't... Not everyone makes it to the end. <laughs> well, and one thing I was, uh, after listening to the first book, so uh, correct me if I'm uh, mistaken, but isn't technically every person a sworn brother? Like, isn't that just yes. like the general, yeah. like, well, once name? they get through, once they get through their training, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah otherwise, like once they've taken their vows. Yep. Technically, the Lord Snow attachment actually really belongs in because he's not even sworn in yet at that point. <laughs> and like the Gren and Pip, they're all in the training still with Alistair, so. Yep, so, uh, so yeah, sworn brother, like, I mean, technically could just be a mix, a mix, mix of uh, veterans and uh, ranger hunters and, you know, just everyone that is just picking up a, a what are they, a greatsword or whatnot, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, um, next up we have the Ranger Trackers. Uh, you know, to kind of clarify everyone that we're going to be talking about, they're all seven points. So the Ranger Trackers, now seven points. They have movement six, uh, defensive five, morale five. Uh, their bow is uh, short range, which is a three up, seven five. And their melee is a five up to hit, six four. They still have their marked target, which is start of a friendly turn. Target one enemy uh, in line of sight and long range. They come up, become vulnerable. They have the cavalry roll, so the free maneuver and three wounds per model. And then they have Pathfinder now, which is ignore dangerous, hindering, and rough. So uh, from the new keywords, that means they're going to ignore the, uh, you know, not getting their charge bonus if they wanted to charge. They're going to ignore the rough, which is uh, the minus one move. And the big one is the dangerous. You know, they can just go right over those stakes without taking the D3 plus one wounds for every action that you perform. Um, Sam, how do you uh, feel about this one, uh, Jonathan? Uh, I don't know how to judge these guys yet. I'm still a little sour on their short sword nerf. Um, going from 4 plus to 5 plus to hit. And I know everybody's saying, you know, these could never see combat. But I think sometimes it's inevitable. They will. Um, so I'm, I'm a little disappointed they, they went down to a 5 plus to hit, considering they also went up to 7 points. But they did gain Pathfinder, and the mark target order was always very valuable. So I'm just a little hesitant, but I think they're probably still all around a pretty decent unit. Yeah, yeah, and the, I mean, of course, the, the morale. Everyone got the morale uh, bonus now, so. Yep, that's what I was just about to say. So I think these guys are fair at seven points. I think they're just going to turn into like a one-of support unit, though, in most lists. They're not going to be something that you're going to see like all over the place unless your goal is to uh, throw like, Brett was saying, a bunch of stakes all over the field and then try to pathfinder your way through the the terrain, but I think these guys at seven points are like a great one of. Um, I um, I did used to love using their old versions though to body block, um, 
because like I mean they're even though they were like a five up save I felt like they were surprisingly durable like if you could get the old shields on them which is again another reason why I'm a little bit sour on the short sword nerf because I was like four up you know to hit it's nothing to write home about but it was you know I don't know five plus now I'm like I'm never going to use that so they are going to sit yeah. they are going to shoot they are going to mark targets it's just not how I was used to using them so yep well, not only that, but uh, with uh, as we'll talk in a second about the veterans, you're going to see a lot more agile all over the place or disrupt. That five up is easily going to become a six. I mean, it's going to yeah. basically, I mean, it's going to be fairly useless. Um, Justin, how do you how do you feel about these guys? Uh, them going up to seven points, I think, is going to be like the hardest part for people to cope with. But I think like so many people agree that this this unit, while like most people would look at it and be like, oh, that's not going to kill me. Like, nah, nah, that's going to kill you. You're going to be real <laughs> upset when that thing's moving across the field because of water on the wall and shooting you in the side. It, and the vulnerable token from it, like you, like you said, Jonathan, like so nice on like on the drop of a dime, like, mm, I guess I really need a vulnerable token right here. Luckily for me, I've got that. Uh, so <laughs> Pathfinder, I don't know if it really did like – I think that was just their justification for a point. Yeah, to be they they had to do something, right? Because they yeah. they nerfed the short sword and they left it pretty much the same with the morale bonus. But they're like, plus one morale with a nerf isn't necessarily enough. So it may have it may work out that this is like the most balanced version of it. Because realistically, you're still getting what you need out of this guy. If you got that point, it's still performing the same role it did before. Maybe not as effectively if you needed to swing a sword at something, um, but it's still still dishing out that panic token and still potentially getting some shots on the side. Maybe it's getting some shots on the side from a relatively safe position of like stakes or something crazy. Um, so it could be nice. And even as we were mentioning, or yeah, we were talking about before with the watcher on the wall, attaching this to them, you know, because everyone else that we're going to look at, uh, in a moment here, Oh no, I guess the ranger hunters are six. I missed that. But, uh, this unit having a six move with the cavalry free move, uh, watcher on the wall is going to be like a prime target if you have even at least just one of these in your in your list. Um, yeah. Next God, up, though, so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zoom. seven inch free mo- uh, free maneuver, especially if you take like the free maneuver zone or something. Gotta go fast. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so next up, we have veterans of the watch. Uh, they have changed quite a bit. I would say the most out of any of these, uh, in my opinion, the most out of anything here, kind of their role in the way that they are now. They are a five move, a three up to hit with seven, six, five, a four up defense, and a five up morale. Uh, they now have agile for enemies suffer minus one to hit when attacking this unit. That is for range and melee. Uh, and they also have counter strike, which is each time this unit is attacked with a melee attack, for each miss, the attacker suffers one hit. Um, these guys, I think, also right where they need to be at seven points. Um, they're like the perfect, uh, you know, other side of the coin for the Sworn Brothers. How do you feel about them, uh, how their change, uh, Jonathan? Uh, I love it. Um, I was looking forward to these guys since the Skirmishers came out because Michael dropped the hint. Uh, he described the Skirmishers as like... Um, uh, a disruptive unit that does yada 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 and then he went on to describe the veterans the exact same way and i was like hmm th- that's uh that's 
making me think that these guys are going to be agile. And we already knew, um, you know, counterattack was gone from his Q and A. And so I thought, okay, counterstrike makes sense. And so I was excited for them because everybody was already ooing over how good the Mummer skirmishers were going to be. So I was like, you know what, if they can give us an elite version of that, I'm sold. And that's what we got. So these guys are going to be tanking my objectives all day. What about you, uh, Justin, especially, you know, being a neutral player and being super excited for your skirmishers. Granted, skirmishers are one point cheaper, so got to give them that. Do you? I mean, one point cheaper for everything worse except the same abilities <laughs> and movement. <laughs> like, two less save, two less morale, worse attack. But, like, I don't know. Like, you're never going to see skirmishers in Night's Watch, ever. Good. Like, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but this unit is better in every way as long as you have that extra point. With that being said, yeah, you can maybe, depending on the attachment, and not neutrals probably, but uh, other factions could maybe make skirmishers as good as these guys. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> these guys are way better. I Side note, I hate the fact that their art has a bow and they don't have a range attack, and it's driving me nuts every time I look at it. I think it's the uh, trackers also have a sword on them, though, and it's now their short sword's a 5+, plus, probably a 6+. plus. I'm like, might as well remove that sword. The sword is actually just if they run out of arrows, they put it in their they you throw know, quiver. It. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but these um, guys are incredibly good for 7 points. Agile with Counter-Strike and, like, already super hard to kill without Agile is going to make this unit very hard to get through as it was before, so it kind of makes sense. So these guys I have the same opinion of as I do with the Skirmishers. I don't like that you have a unit that has Agile and Counter-Strike naturally together, especially with a lot of units going to four up the hit uh, for the, like the, the less, you know, the weaker units, I guess we'll call them. Uh, just needing five, let's say if you are normally a four up the hit, needing fives with Counter-Strike on every attack, you might as well never attack because you're almost guaranteed to take more hits than you do uh, wounds. So I feel like, I don't know, I don't like the fact that uh, it deters you that much from running four up to hit units, uh, four up to hit, uh, yeah, units. I think I would be a lot more uh, comfortable if both of these were orders. That way, if at least you could get multiple attacks through, uh, you could kind of get around it. Um, how do you feel about uh, about that, uh, Jonathan? Um, I don't disagree. I mean, like, one of the reasons why I love them is because I already saw Skirmishers, but if I hadn't seen Skirmishers, I can see why people would really hate this unit. Um, I, I mean, what you said, though, makes sense. I mean, you could have these kind of abilities on, say, an attachment or something or, or character-specific because then at least you're limited to only one of them. But having a lot of stuff floating around the field that makes you negative one to hit when the average is now moving up to four, yeah, I can see why people don't like that. But, I mean, they did say they were trying to make the game last longer uh, and so that things weren't getting killed too often. Did they hit that balance? I guess I'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I understand people's worry. Um, it's the only source we've seen in Night's Watch so far, though, whereas I know, like, Stark's got four potential sources, three, I think. 
they got Grey Wind, they got Howland, they got Howland NCU, they got Skirmishers. So it's they're really floating that one. Yep, and that's the other thing. Uh, even like three ups going. So the minus thing isn't as big of a deal. Like for me, it's really just the combination of the two. The fact that you you know you could take more damage than you dish out from abilities that aren't even orders. Uh, yeah. Just that's my big uh, I get pet uh, big pet peeve for me. Um, each of these abilities on their own, I don't really have that much of a problem with. It's just when a unit, uh, in this case veterans and skirmishers, just come with both abilities stock, that I find it to be a, a potential issue. Um, I could find it very frustrating for newer players that uh, you know come up against this unit, especially if they're wanting to run like their um, their four up to hit, you know, kind of chaff units, um, and you know, you could even have two chaff units charge this unit, you know, two five-up, let's say, um, sworn swords. And now, even though they could have, like, uh, what do they get now, critical blow and sundering, uh, still be doing a lot more damage to yourself, you know, with both units, even though you're getting more yeah. attacks in. Uh, so I could understand how, you know, they want the more expensive elite units to be able to survive against, like, chaff units. But when chaff units are just going to kind of ping off of, you know, abilities like this is, I guess, where I'm worried. Um, I think, there's um, the I think the uh, Bravosi water stuff. Yeah, I think that was a perfect example of a fairly balanced version of Agile where it was negative one to hit, it, but, you know, it was an order. But then I think, like, Stark players are like, oh, three of garbage and nobody used them. So maybe they thought, oh. The ability needs to be buffed, but I mean, I I don't think it. I think you could have made agile in order, and it probably would have been just as effective. There's one I thing think also of, to point out uh, that I kind of forgot about when it comes to comparing these guys to skirmishers. Uh, skirmishers have the ability to dish out a weakened token, and that makes agile and counter strike way better, which it's already good. But if you have a weakened token on you, you're Definitely not attacking. Even at a three up you yep. hit, there's a pretty good chance you're not attacking. And while it's not guaranteed with the skirmishers, I guess that does help kind of balance it out. So, and as if I'm not aware, or if, if I'm mistaken, Night's Watch don't have a ton of ability to dish out weakened tokens, so that does help in this regard. Yep. Yeah. So it's one of the things we'll have to see. Uh, I'm you know, usually really optimistic. And I think worst case scenario, if it is a problem, CMON's always really good about uh, reevaluating once they've gotten enough info in and they're able to kind of figure it out. So, uh, but yeah, that's just kind of one concern I have and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, next up we have Ranger Hunters. Uh, they are now, they have a six move, five up uh, defense, five up morale, uh, short uh, Hunter's Bow with 3 up to hit, 754, and then Melee Attack, which is also 3 up to hit, 754. They have the Order Quick Fire. After this unit completes a maneuver or a retreat action, this unit performs one ranged attack action. They also have Swift Strike. After this attack is completed, uh, which is a melee icon, um, this unit may perform one retreat action. Essentially, you could uh, charge in do your melee attack, get your re-rolls, and then after you've completed the attack, you uh, get a free retreat. That retreat will then trigger quick fire, which will then allow you to shoot, 
Um, so you'll essentially get seven dice hitting on threes with re-rolls, and then uh, another seven dice hitting on threes with no re-rolls. Um, so how do you, I'll start with you, Justin. Uh, I know you got to go soon. One second. Let me make sure I got it up so I'm not being dumb. Oh, no. <laughs> I've lost it. There it is. We're talking about... Um, Rager Hunters. Hunters. All the way so these, the boys, these boys have had a troubled past. <laughs> um, I always wanted them to be really good because they're, they were so similar. They were like kind of a reverse Bastard Girls, right? And I guess more or less it's sort of similar. Um, but now you want your... Instead of you wanting to rush in and attack, I believe it was, and then retreat uh, and get that free shot, now you have like a... No, no, it's still the same, yeah, after this attack is completed. So it's the same, but their stats got buffed. Yeah, that's what it is. So were they six-up armor before? I don't remember. They, no, they were five. Yeah, so they, they were got five the morale six, increase right? and the point. Is that pretty much it? They just got that morale increase in the point? Yeah, and their yeah, abilities great. changed. They didn't have quick fire before. They had. Uh, oh, sorry. Else. I thought you meant. I thought you meant for twenty twenty one. Okay, they had, so um, opportunist. Right, right. So now it's like if you are dumb enough to let these guys charge you, you're going to be slightly upset. I think. Uh, no, sorry. They do have. They currently do have quick fire. Um, yeah, so everything stayed the same except the morale and the points. Yeah. Really, I don't remember them having quick fire. Oh well. They um, they got <laughs> it last January. Yeah, it wasn't oh, always okay. there. That's when they switched to being like passive drills. But instead of shooting, charging, they're charging, retreating, shooting, or yeah. I mean, not necessarily <laughs> charging. Um, but no, these guys, if played right, are really good. Their their weakness is the short range, uh, which makes it harder because if you don't kill what you're shooting, they're gonna charge you. Presumably, but yeah. It, the only thing I didn't like about this unit before, which is the pretty much one thing they fixed, is they were eight points. Yeah, yeah. Now being seven points is yeah, much I more think viable. Yeah, perfectly fair for seven. Before, I thought the unit was great. Like they were super fluffy. They had really cool abilities. They were just too expensive for what they brought to the table. Yeah, and they were so easy to mess up, super unforgiving, that the eight points could yeah. go down the drain very quickly. And then if you threw on the new hunter attachment, uh, it was two points, brought them to ten. Yeah, it was just not worth the investment. So. Yeah, I think these guys are definitely uh, fair at seven. I think they're a, a strong seven. Um, I don't think they're eight, but uh, I think you're you're getting sort of a bargain at seven points because of the potential between uh, the quick fire swift strike uh, combo. Uh, not only that, uh, but if you aren't running ranger trackers or if you just want to throw it on them, watch around the wall again. That's a seven move uh, uh, unit. So your re free retreat, you know, uh, you could roll one and still get to, you know, a pretty decent, uh, you know, range away. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, Thank you so much, uh, Justin, for coming on. Uh, he's got to go. Um, but uh, we are almost to the end here. Uh, going to be talking about the last unit, which is Builder Crossbowmen. So I saved them for last because this is another unit that I'm very skeptical <laughs> about. Uh, they have a five move. They have long range, three up, seven, seven, four. They have a melee, which is four up, five, four, three. 
a five-up defense, a five-up morale. They have uh, their crossbow, which is Sundering, and they can reroll attack dice when attacking in short range. And then they also have the order, ready, aim, release. When an enemy performs a charge action on this unit before resolving that charge action, if being charged from the front, this unit performs one ranged attack action on that enemy. So uh, this unit, for seven points, uh, I think is just crazy strong, I think, uh, but for the most part, fair. My problem is when you combined it with uh, the revealed watch captain for three points, um, you are going to have a ranged unit that is now 877 <laughs> for your attacks, meaning you basically have to kill the unit off before its effectiveness is gone. And they can shoot you twice at long range, and if you get close, they get rerolls. Um, I am really scared about this unit. I think it's going to be way too good. How do you think? Uh, what do you think about uh, them? At maybe like as themselves, and then the combination with the watch captain. Uh, I'm not scared of them because I'm going to be the one using them. Uh, <laughs> these are the bread and butter of my stuff. I am Mr. Builder. Uh, no, I mean. Yeah, they're they're all around a good unit. I loved them before. Um, they gave them rerolls, which I was not expecting. With so that's a welcome change. They did get nerfed in melee, but I mean I didn't even think that was necessary. They hit on fours, so but it is what it is. Um, five dice on fours. They're not supposed to be in melee, and uh, I think they even got yeah they got an increase in the defense. They were a six plus initially. I think that was the thing I hated most about them is they were um, six plus versus the Lannisters, which were a five plus. Uh, and I know they said, "Oh, you got the ready aim fire, so that's your defense." And I didn't never bought that excuse. Uh, which leads me to my favorite change: the order is now called ready aim release, not ready aim fire, because you know <laughs> archery you don't fire, you release. So, um, yep. and then of course, yes, the captain, uh, I think that was the first combo everybody came up with is you got a crossbowman, you know, round one, if you're not in range, you got that maneuver, you've got your 14 inches, maybe 15 if you've got, oh no, I don't think you, yeah, you don't get the extra move from watcher for your sh uh, shift, but you still have got a 14 inch range, you fire, Maybe you took the attack zone, you fire, you have Walder, you fire, you use your order, you fire. These guys are going to be, um, I think people are going to think they're NPE. Um, and they might be, but I don't know. I'm a little biased. I love my builders, so. Yeah, and like I said, I think these guys just, them themselves, looks just to be a very strong, uh, very strong seven-point unit. It's just, for me, it's the combination them with a watch captain. Because uh, yeah. shooting uh, with those abilities is super, like, having a watch captain, let's say, Sworn Brothers, is not a huge, like, it's really strong. But it's, you know, the fact that they have to be in melee to, you know, really get the effectiveness means that you can, you know, rebuttal with uh, any uh, cards that only trigger when you're in combat. You can swing back at them. Uh it's just the fact that this range unit, you know, you, you try to charge them, they're going to sh uh, shift back to shoot you, and you yeah. possibly fail the charge. Or if you're close enough, 
to like guarantee the charge, they shift to towards you to get short range, and then now re-roll, and then they use their actual activation to retreat from you, and then they use the watch captain to then shoot you a second time. Uh, and if you didn't kill them, uh, you know their effectiveness basically stays the same throughout. So you're taking eight dice to the face, possibly re-roll, retreating just enough to then throw seven dice at you with re-rolls. And the in a lot of cases... I can add to that though, is you are looking at a 10 point unit. And I think the problem is, is people are comparing what we've seen as one of our first 10 point combos to the 10 point units of 1.6 who may not have been worth 10 points. Like, I mean, we're looking at champions of the stag, for example. I don't, I don't think those guys are actually worth 10 points in 1.6. Whereas these guys are 10 points, but they're a monster house unit, right? I think we're going to see a lot more of that in, 1.7 2021 is when you load up the on expensive units, they should be expensive units. Yeah, I guess for me, it's um, I definitely agree with that. I think for me, it's just the 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 fact that they can shoot you before you ever you know charge them and then just kind of get away. And then, you know, I just, I think a smart player is going to, like, if two smart players are playing against each other, uh, I think the crossbowmen are going to have the advantage with the, yeah. with the, um, with their avenues of retreat and rebuttal, um, I guess the best way I could put it. Uh, but we'll see. Um, again, I'm optimistic that, uh, you know, Simon has done a lot of testing with these guys and that, uh, you know, Again, worst case scenario, if they're uh, a little too over tweaked, that uh, you know they'll reevaluate yeah. them. And if my if only they hope truly... is not a year later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, it, it might be a little on the longer side, just because with everything going on, I know they yeah. like to try to wait until they've gotten enough like actual data and not just like you know word of mouth data. Uh, which is understandable, and I respect that. Um, you know, you don't want to change things on a whim just because you hear a bunch of people complain about it. You want, like, hard evidence before you start making, you know, drastic changes. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, Michael has brought up, I believe, a couple times that, you know, no amount of testing they can do will amount to the amount of testing that the community will do when things get released. And that's why it's one of those things that you just kind of have to take and, uh, you know, evaluate um, little by little as things come out. Yeah, I'm not opposed um, to them making these kind of changes. It's just they have to be aware that, I mean, you can't really let a game sit for a year and a half. You know, it, the yeah. meta festers. Yeah, and people get frustrated when yeah. things are too good for too long um, and they feel like they have no answer to them. Yeah, yeah even we'll though see. all of them, I, I mean, I totally would empathize with my opponent if they're like, yeah, I don't want to play you if you're going to be bringing that. And I'd be like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so now we are done with all the tax cards. We're done with all the units. And lastly, we're going to wrap it up with the four commander uh attachments that they've revealed they have not revealed uh their cards they uh, you can look to see what the cards are named um but yeah we'll start off with uh john snow he has the boldness and courage which uh that the watch captain has uh 
a ranged or melee. It affects uh, each time this unit attacks. If it has full ranks, it gains plus one die. Otherwise, it's treated as having plus one rank for uh, attack dice. And then it ha he has Rally Cry. Each time this unit performs a melee attack before rolling attack dice, target one other friendly unit in long range, it restores two wounds. So and this one is not in order, so you're going to be able to trigger this multiple times. Uh, and then I do like that, uh, I want to, you know, I don't think I mentioned this before, I like the fact that the Boldness Courage is just plus one die. I know that, you know, was intentional with trying to reduce dice, but I think this just, that's still an amazing ability that uh, even the plus one die is, you know, right where it needed to be. How do you feel about uh, John? Um, I mean, like my biggest gripe with this uh, reveal was not showing the tactics card. Cause I find it <laughs> not a fair yeah. assessment to judge a commander by their abilities <laughs> alone. That being said, I mean, the new boldness and courage is great. It works on range units. Um, and Rally Cry is a interesting new ability. So instead of, um, uh, what was it before? Uh, but I know he healed on the morale path. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, D3. After, yeah. when you pass a morale, heal D3. This one Which has was... a lot of potential. Um, I mean, you're going to have, like, toss it and watch his ended on him. So you're, he's going to get those free attacks. And you can chain that. Uh, several times, I think, if you time your deaths correctly with your chaff units or corn MCU, depending. Um, and, yeah, you're going to be healing your units around you. So I think there's going to be a lot of cool synergy there. We'll have to wait and see his cards. But um, I think he, right off the bat, I think he looks interesting in Ranger Hunters, though, because he'll benefit their um, their bow attack and their sword attack equally. And they're both hitting on a 3+, so it's 7, 5, 4, so. I think he's going to be yep. a really nice commander for hunters. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I mean, that's going to make them eight, seven, five on both profiles. Uh, and so now and you're, you're going to get both six. those attacks off in one go too. Yep, and you're going to heal uh, just once because of melee, because it won't heal for the the ranged. But still, uh, healing two from that melee uh, if you've you know taken wounds prior uh, could be huge. Let's see. Uh, no, it says other, but still, yeah. um, you know, charging in there, healing someone, uh, you know, the combination of attacking twice and healing someone else is, it's a lot to happen all in one activation. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, with not having the tactics cards, it's hard to really fully judge uh, what their potential is and how good they stack up. Because let's say Jon Snow might look way better than Alistair, uh, Alistair, uh, with his abilities, but his uh, Jon Snow's cards might be much worse than uh, Alistair's uh, um, cards, so you never know. Um, and, you know, it also kind of stinks that they don't have the cards because uh, if we could print them out, you know, you could start getting if some testing. We could testing. play them, get some feedback. Yep, yeah. exactly. I think that's the, probably the biggest bummer of not having the Tactics cards revealed is not, the, uh, not having the ability to play test uh, them fully. Um, next up, we have Donald Noy. He is uh, now ha he now has orders set for charge. When this unit is successfully charged from the front or flank, this unit is not engaged with another enemy. It performs one melee attack action on the attacker before they resolve their melee attack. And then he has improved armament uh, melee icon while you control the wealth. 
this unit's melee attacks gain thundering and roll their highest attack die value. Now, I'm going to say this one does concern me as well. Uh, it's the only one of the I, commanders that concerns I me. I know what you're going to say, the hunters, right? <laughs> yes, and only because set for charge on an attachment is what worries me. Having it as a tactics card isn't a big deal because it's limited number of a number of times, and then not and having it on a unit itself, it's also not a big deal. But having it on an attachment as an order that can trigger every single round, that's I guess what concerns me. Because um, uh, we've yeah. already and it, I think it does go a little further than that. And I mean, I'm excited about the combo, but I don't think I'll personally be abusing it myself. But uh, you got your hunters who will, you know, they could charge in, they'll get their swift strike, then they can retreat, get their quick fire. And then if an opponent even dares to try to charge you from the front or flank, then you're going to get your set for charge off. So you're going to attack them and then you get a retreat and they now never get to attack you because you've just retreated. Um, So it is super oppressive. I think Uh, I would hope that, Simon was aware of that combo when they made him. <laughs> but so I, I guess we'll have one to see. thing, one thing that kind of you know I was thinking of you know this is just kind of spitballing uh, idea that would be cool is if he had this as an order, but then like after you use it, it the order doesn't replenish, but then he has like an ability that says when you claim the wealth zone and target his unit, you can you reflip it. the order back. Yeah. So it's kind and of like so that setting up for a charge. Yeah, exactly. And it is called set for charge, so you need yep. to re- replenish your supplies. Yeah. Exactly. And that way you could potentially still have it every round if your opponent lets you, but at least yeah. your opponent has a little play. You'll still get it guaranteed once, um, but then after that it'll be kind of a struggle between you and your opponent, uh, you know, whether or not you could get it reset to set yourself up for set, you know, for another charge. That's an interesting so. suggestion for sure. Uh, but we also are seeing here, though, uh, the first commander that is based on the tactics zones. So, like, this one is based on wealth that is about, you know, bringing in equipment. Uh, so I'm willing to bet his cards probably also are related to that as well. Because they did say none of the um, none of the base deck would, but the commanders could. So Yep. Yeah, and so the obvious choice is him and hunters, but I think another like a uh, honorable mention is him and veterans oh. to kind of give them that keyword to a little punch, you know, giving them uh, you know thundering and then always attacking at that seven dice. That way, now if you your opponent doesn't want to attack you, you go okay, I'm just gonna try to punch you in the face now with my veterans, and yeah, uh, also... they kind of have to deal with them. There was also a teaser that was dropped on the podcast. I, I wanted to bring this up earlier, and I forgot. Um, veterans aren't even our defensive unit anymore. Chanel was hinting that there's a new unit that's going to come out that's going to be the defensive unit. Um, yep. So who knows how that's going to interact with Donald Noy, because he is the defensive commander. Yep, exactly. And so that'll be interesting to see, because um, I still view the veterans as crazy defensive i mean not in the way that you know they have a three-up armor or all that stuff but just in the fact that they have you know have those other abilities so it'll definitely be interesting to see uh what they can come up with yeah yep um next we have alistair uh alistair thorn thorn sorry i'm 
keep wanting to say Alistair. I know, everybody does. Uh, <laughs> My cat's name is Alistair, too, so sometimes uh, I'll mix it up. So he's going to give uh, the unit he's in Vicious and Prey on Fear, which is each time an enemy engaged with this unit fails a panic test, that unit restores two wounds. This this unit restores two wounds. So, uh, again, um, I think uh, can't go wrong with Ranger Hunters, given that, uh, you know, unlike Jon Snow healing another unit, this ability will actually heal the hunters themselves before they retreat out and then shoot. Um, or even uh, in the veterans again, uh, to give them a keyword to kind of give them a little punch. Uh, how do you feel about him? Uh, I've got a love-hate relationship with him here. <laughs> he was my favorite commander before. I've already noticed my favorite card in the whole game is gone. I was Ruthless Approach. I thought that was a super cool card. It was like an anti-vow. Uh, and it's not listed on his card here. We obviously don't know what his cards do, but I do know that card is gone. So, um, And then his abilities, he worked really well with the Hunters before because he had that... Um, I can't remember what Where they you called get it. Bonuses he got, if they're hurt. Yeah, he got plus one to hit if they lost one rank, and he got plus two dice if they lost two ranks, but it worked for both melee and range, which is why he was a really nice fit for the Hunters because they were both equally tuned for that. Um, so he's not as easy as a pick for Hunters now. Um, I think I would put him in Swarm Brothers because with Vicious, the thing is, is if you don't have, if you don't do any wounds, Vicious does nothing. So I would want that Sundering to kind of help make the defensive stage a little bit worse to kind of almost guarantee Vicious will do something. And then Swarm Brothers are a four-up save, so they're not super tough, but then you got the Prey on Fear to help heal them back up. So I think that'll be, I think where he'll, he'll live if I run him in the list. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Swarm Brothers would definitely be a great spot. And uh, I think, you know, before we talk about Awful Yarwick, uh, you know, I, I would say at face value, without knowing the cards, he, uh, Alistair definitely seems like the weakest of the bunch with the agree. potential. But, again, uh, I mean, his cards could just, you know, get revealed and be amazing, all three of them. And that's where maybe he shines. Maybe they felt they needed to just kind of give him good abilities, but nothing over the top, balance out with the cards that he's given. Um, but then uh, lastly, we have uh, Awful Yarwick. He was an NCU commander, and now we're seeing his uh, foot version. Uh, now that NCU commanders are gone, he has the affili affiliation builder, this unit is a builder unit. That means that uh, his cards probably are going to deal with uh, builder units, which uh, that we know of is just the um, the crossbowmen, the scorpion, and the stone thrower so far. Uh, he has hardened. Each time an enemy performs an attack on this unit, after rolling defense dice, this unit blocks one hit and an additional hit for each of its destroyed ranks. And then he has spotter when attacking enemies in long range of this unit, friendly war machine units reroll any attack dice. So uh, one thing I think uh, that we've seen uh, the Harden here, let me just check uh, the app, but I believe um, the Stark Hero Box uh, had Harden. Oh, they um, did, you're right, the uh, Mormont. But I think they've changed it. Uh, let me see here. I thought Mormont that was a new I forgot about her. So each time this unit is attacked, after defense dice are rolled, for each of the destroyed ranks, automatically block one additional hit. So Hardened has now been changed to 
automatically block one hit plus the destroyed ranks. I think that uh, is definitely way better because uh, before the Mormont veteran was just kind of like, eh, it didn't do anything for you initially. It wasn't until you started taking ranks gone that it did anything, so it didn't seem very useful. Point, at that point, you might, it, I mean, it could block two hits, but I mean, like, you could have only have two guys off. What do you take two wounds as well? And then it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. It's nice that it does something from the get go. Yep. So, uh, you combine that even with, uh, you know, the veterans, you know, with their agile, the counter strike, uh, you know, you're really going to be hard pressed to get through that, um, while blocking. And even when you get down to like your last rank, you know, minus one to hit counter striking back auto blocking three, I mean, it could get pretty, uh, you know, pointless to even attempt. You could, you I think know, I someone would... did math on that, and they, on average, are actually immortal <laughs> uh, on the last rank. Like, if you can get Shield of the Realms on them with Othal and the Vets, yeah, you're negative one to hit. So most things are hitting on four to five now. Um, if they're, if we're comparing elite units, you know, four, right? Um, and I think they were saying, like, I think on average they might do you know, like four hits or something like that. But then you also get to roll your defense saves. And then on top of that, you're blocking three to four. So it's like, yeah, you're not taking a little blood on this last rank. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really going to have to, like, charge into them with and, you know, get those – have a way to get re-rolls and a vulnerable token. So I guess in just, like, martial, uh, martial training. Like, if you have a unit that has martial training, that could be a good way. I mean, granted, you'd probably have to hit on threes. That way you're hitting on fours with re-rolls and uh, your, them being vulnerable, I think would be a decent way to crack through it. But, I mean... I, I also hate that uh, Zorses are going to be a solution here, too. And it's... I mean, I, I hate to say it because I don't want to tell people they have to play and be, you know, effective at something. But, I mean, we haven't seen everything, but we know Zorses, Vargo, Drogo, all these sort of things will be able to take care of these kind of attachments with ease, I think. Yep, and I guess that it will be one kind of downside for the Night's Watch is, you know, they're so their ta- tactics deck is so good, but it really wants you to focus on nothing but Night's Watch units that you're going to potentially miss out on awesome units like Zorse Riders. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. granted, you could still run them. I mean, having one neutral unit in a sea of Night's Watch units, it, you know, could definitely be a winning strategy still. But, uh, yeah. you know... I, I think you're going to you see a lot more your like your Night's Watch. Well, the fact that you can put all your vows on one unit now, too, definitely helps. Like before, I didn't like taking neutral units because I'm like, oh, I, I, I can only have one vow on each unit. I need places to put my vows. But now, yep. if I want to run one or two neutral units, I could just load those vows on everybody else now because there's no limit. And as we mentioned before, you know, you run JOR uh, NCU and you can use the main effect on your neutral unit um, for most of them. Uh, I believe uh, all of them except for uh, now as watch has ended and take the black, the other five, you can use the initial ability and then it just won't attach. But then you can JOR it out of the discard pile. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you're just going to more often than not limit yourself to one neutral unit. Um, I think would be a good rule of thumb, not that you would have to abide by that, uh, but yeah. Um, but we're running kind of short on time. we got about five minutes left before the show tells me that I've been 
talking too long. <laughs> uh, so that kind of wraps up uh, this very long uh, reveal. They had so much uh, stuff revealed for Night's Watch. It was really nice, you know, especially if you're a Night's Watch player. You got to see a lot of stuff. Maybe not the tactics cards for the commanders, but tons of units, tons of, you know, all you know, I think pretty much all the commanders and uh, between Jorah and those four, I think is is that all of them uh, that we currently have in 1.6? Uh, they, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think yeah. they're the only faction that's had every commander revealed to some extent. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm super impressed with them. Uh, I have, as I, you know, you guys have been listening, I have some concerns, but I have faith that, uh, you know, everything will turn out for the better. And, uh, you know, I remain optimistic. Uh, so what's your final takeaway? Uh, Othal is my favorite by far. I mean, Harden looks like one of the best abilities I've seen. I don't like it because it makes him near immortal, but it just, I mean, looking at his cards, the fact that builder affiliation is now a thing, I just got such high hopes for my war machines. He comes with spotter. So that means he's probably going to want to focus on them too. So I'm really hoping that war machines are viable in 2021. I think that's my favorite takeaway from this. Um, overall though, Night's Watch, uh, all the units are really good. All the cards, I don't think there's a single bad one, even if some of them might not be as useful. We'll have to see them in practice. And then, yeah, again, the commanders all look okay. Alice is Thorn being at the bottom of the pile. We'll have to wait for their commander cards to really judge them. But everything here, I think, uh, gets a solid pass for me. So. Awesome. Yeah, and not to mention even the, the senior builder, what he might uh, change to. Um, and you know, I mean, the, mods and all he, that. the modifications, all that stuff. So there's still, even though they release so much in this article, there's still so much more out there that we don't know yet. Uh, and so, uh, I know I try to keep that in mind with a lot of my concerns and, uh, you know, anyone listening, uh, I know some of the stuff I brought up can kind of seem kind of worrying, but like I just said, uh, you know, there's so much we don't know, and there could be lots of answers just waiting around the corner. Uh, you know, we'll just have to wait for the next uh, reveal and when they finally kind of drop it all, all the rest of it on us. Uh, but with that said, thank you so much, uh, Jonathan, for coming on. Uh, you know, it was awesome having a, a nice watch player on to kind of, you know, have a different perspective. I play them occasionally, but they're definitely not one of the factions I play, uh, you know, more often. Yeah, no problem. It was a nice, nice chatting with you guys. Awesome. So everyone that's, uh, you know, listening, I thank you so much for, you know, listening through. It's basically a two hour episode. Uh, you know, I appreciate all of you guys for listening in every week. Our next show will be next Sunday. Uh, if you guys haven't already, definitely check out that event uh, in Indianapolis. Um, you know, with that said, this is small council radio and it is dismissed. <laughs>